0: This episode of the Productivityist podcast is brought to you by Blinkist, Fit reading into your life with key takeaways from the world's best nonfiction books in text and audio. I'm a big fan of Blinkist, and I'm going to share more about this fantastic service with you during this episode. So stick around for that. This episode of the Productivityist podcast is also brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, productivity, and more. Stick around as I've got a special offer for Productivityist podcast listeners that I'll reveal during this episode. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, my good friend Paul Jarvis joins me. I get together with Paul on a regular basis, often once per month, just to sit and chat about building a business. And the new book that he's got out, Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business, is something that we've kind of touched on during our coffee conversations, but we're going to dig in and dive in deep during this episode. I'm really excited to get to this because Uh, I've been spending a lot of time figuring out how I want to have this company of one in my own way, shape, or form. And if there's anybody that's done this uh, to the letter, uh, it's the guy who wrote the book on it. So we're going to talk about how to build a company of one and and the idea of staying small and why it is the next big thing for business. There's so much to get into, and we're just going to get to it. So here's my conversation with my good friend, Paul Jarvis, here on the Productivityist podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome my friend Paul Jarvis to the is podcast. Paul, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me on. Even though this is virtual, and we were initially going to do it in real life, <laughs> it's like it feels weird to talk to you, like <laughs> and not be in the same room. Especially since we could have number one yeah. and number two. I because with the way my podcast station is set up, is I actually in you know I'm sitting in this cozy chair with a cup of, uh, chair with a cup of coffee. And I have my office chair across from me. And I normally envision the person sitting across from me. Well, that could have happened. Number one, could. But number two, I can clearly like it, it. There's a real possibility that, in fact, the next time we hang out for coffee, you're just gonna have to come over here and sit in that chair for a little while, just so sure. I can have that. Happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you are the author of several books, but the one we're going to focus on specifically today is "Company of One: Why Staying Small Is the Next Big Thing for Business." And uh, you know. I, I say this to several authors, you know, when I'm going through their books, and and it's the message message really resonates. Um, there's dog earing happening, but it's really weird when more pages are dog eared than are not, <laughs> and that you know I, that is the case with this book. It, awesome. It's it's one of those um, it's one of those books where, especially, it, it, it's come along at the right time for me. You know, when you're thinking about scaling, uh, you know, and I mean, uh, there are other people i have written about this, like Jeff Goins, who talked to Seth Godin. I'll, I'll put this blog post in the show notes where he said, you know, like, why do you start a business? Oh, I start a business for freedom. Be, well, it's not necessarily the best reason to start a business, you know, so on and so forth. You actually talk a bit about this in the book. Like the idea mm-hmm. of, of having a company of one does provide an element of freedom, but I don't think that's why you would start a company in the first place, right? Like not just to have freedom. I think it's an element of it, though, if, if you're going to stay at this level, right?
1: For sure. I think the only people that start businesses for for freedom are the other are people that want to, like, be on a beach in Thailand with a Mai Tai in one hand and a laptop in the other hand and work the, uh, like... I guess forty-three minutes a day and call it a business. <laughs> I think there's definitely like I there's definitely a pragmatic element um to having a lifestyle business that a lot of lifestyle business owners miss, where your your business does need to be focused on generating profit. It does need to be focused on serving a specific audience well, well enough that they come back or they tell others. So that definitely needs to be part of it, but I think. That we can shape and steer our business towards the types of freedom that we want. So after it is generating revenue, and we can determine how to make it last for longer than just a little while, then we can kind of make decisions about it that that suit us best.
0: One of the things that that I found that keeps creeping in, and it creeps in 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 a very in various ways. I'll get a message of someone saying, Hey, can you do more articles about this? Or can you do a product about this? Or you get someone that pays you a compliment on, on social media, or you see someone else doing something and you're like, Oh, I should totally do that. Um, that's all the ego, I think, that comes in. It's really a, the the book. Brian Holiday wrote a book, an entire book about it called "Ego Is the Enemy." <laughs> yes. Why is? Do you think that's one of the reasons when people are starting a business and they're going from you know either they're going from their day job to now building a a, a business? Do you think that that's one of the the primary reasons where people get caught in this this story? Because I think it, it, it's largely a story of businesses need to be big. We've got to have you know it, it's all about bigger is the scale as opposed to better is the scale
1: mm-hmm. and i think that they would be synonyms if that
0: was the case mm. bigger and, and better this is true this is true but the, do you think the <laughs> yeah. the, the ego definitely I, I mean that's one of the that's it, it, it's the thing that makes imposter syndrome show up too right
1: well i think ego is a funny thing because i think we need ego to start mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to we need to believe that we can do something better than it that is currently offered in the market. So I think that well, there's already a ton of business writers, but I think I have something meaningful to share. So my ego tells me that, hey, even though there's a gazillion business books out there, why don't you share yours, which I think is valid. And I think there's a good that's a good use of ego because it serves uh, the audience that I want to hit and 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 the life that I want to have. Where I think it can can lead to to badness is that when e- when our ego tries to please others more than it tries to please ourselves it is an issue so like if i'm at like a dinner party which you can laugh because you know i don't really go to dinner parties <laughs> but like if i'm at a dinner party and somebody's like well what do you do when we get into a conversation about it and they're like well what does your day look like or what does your business look like and i could say like look i sit at home in my pants from costco and i work on the computer by myself all day and like that doesn't sound that great to a, a person who may not work for themselves. But if I, if it's like, well, in order for that to sound better, I like maybe if I had a thousand employees or like eight offices or like I was in three countries, like if I say that at a dinner party, then maybe people are going to think like, oh, this person's a big deal. But like, do I really want to run a business that just looks good to other people that isn't taking into account? Uh, like what I actually want. So I think in that case, ego doesn't really serve us when it's more related to like social stature or or opinions of others, where I think opinions of others can be useful, but in that case I don't think they really are. So I think it always comes down to to that. Like what is it, what is my ego serving here? Mm-hmm. Like is it serving my own happiness or pursuit of happiness? And yeah, that that makes sense. Maybe I should exist in this market. But if it's if your ego is to serve other people or their opinions or your social standing, then I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't always sound that doesn't always sound like that's the best thing
0: along the way as you built, you know, a company one in it, it during the book, it, you you talk about how I don't think it was something that was initially deliberate, right? Like, it, no, is that fair no, to say? It, yeah. It just kind of, um, you, but I don't think you fell into it either. Right. Like, can you, can you, can you elaborate on that? Cause I think it it's kind of like a happy, like a middle, middle path in, in, in that sense.
1: Yeah, so it was like unconscious in the beginning, and then it was conscious, but not really. Not a whole lot changed from it, right? right like a lot of trial and error, right? Yeah, and so in the beginning, I was like, I, I love working for myself. I love working with my, with my customers and and with my audience, but I don't like managing people. Like I, I'm a, I'm a crappy manager. I have had to manage people, and I have had to delegate in my life in many situations, and it's just not enjoyable to me. Like it's not a skill that I want to foster, develop, or use on a daily basis. So I've always been resistant to hiring people because I don't want to I don't want to promote myself out of a job I like. I like actually doing the work. So I don't want to promote myself out of doing the work to managing people doing the work. And then I would be jealous of them. And then that just seems like a really bad work environment. So I've always kind of pushed against this idea that if your business is successful, you need to grow it larger and you need to have more people and, and use more resources and all of that. So in the beginning, it was just, I don't like stress and responsibility, especially in work. So I'm just not going to do that and do things on my own. And then when I started to think about it, it was like, this kind of makes sense and this kind of makes sense not just for me but for other people who are in similar positions where it makes sense to like work to increase uh like profit every year or work to make enough money to support yourself and your family or the or the team that you work with however big or small they are but at some point it doesn't make sense to keep going because it's too it requires too many resources and too much To maintain, and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stress, and there's a lot of weight to that. Like, I don't want the weight of having to be responsible for like a full time employee or or a set of employees. But that's different for everybody, right? Like, that's just (laughs) I'm just showing like one option for people, as opposed to um, like here's the here's the way you go. I think the book is really the challenge of. There really isn't one path. There really isn't one version of success. There really isn't one way to do things in business. Here's one option. Take what you want from it. Leave what you want from it. But there is another way. So just consider.
0: Just consider it. I well, and the that. the, the you, you talk about like in the book, and and this is something as I went through it. I kept going back to my roots at Costco and I talk about this a little bit when I talked to Michael Gerber about this and, and, and when we talked about his beyond the e stuff and the idea of turnkey, right? You know, like Costco mm-hmm. is a really big, I mean, and you spent your, we talked about Costco last time we were hanging out, you know, like, and I did actually make the trip up there. It was actually pretty smooth. <laughs> there was parking even. So oh, wow. <laughs> on a I'm Saturday, jealous. no less, it actually worked out pretty well. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, as I was going through this, And the idea that you you can and you talk about this in the book, the idea that you can foster a company, the the ethos or the philosophy of a company of one within larger organizations, if, you know, with with the right systems and with the right mindset. Right. I I mean, I kept thinking about, you know, like Costco's very I mean, there are certain things that you you know, you do within the confines of Costco that allow you to empower, you know, employees that just want to stay like my buddy who was uh, in my wedding party. Um, he, he, has been a forklift driver since day one, has no interest in climbing up the scale to go beyond that. He's given uh, small initiatives to spearhead, but he's not in charge of any major uh, projects or anything like that. Whereas there's other people that, you know, they have a massive, um, you know, uh, philosophy of promoting from within as well. So I I mean, can you talk a little bit about for those, the listener that's out there going, yeah, you know, this is all great, but I work like I have a business, either that uh, <laughs> I've already started and uh oh, it's, it's, it's kind of spiraling a little bit beyond the, you know, what I'm able to manage, or they work for a larger company and they can, they're like, how do I implement this kind of thing? Or is there a way that I can implement this kind of thing in, in, in my larger, you know, organization?
1: For sure, and that's something that I thought of um throughout the book is that it, the company of one is like you said it, it's more of a mindset, just like Tim Ferris's four hour work week isn't meant to be taken literally <laughs> like, you don't he doesn't work four hours a week no, in he the... he's,
0: he's, he's stated this many times uh, that yeah. the, the, it sells books, but yeah it's it's more again, for those who haven't really really know it he, it just feels like you work like the actual hours yeah. of work are uh, accumulate to about four hours, so that's yeah. the idea behind it, but yeah the, the, it's a philosophy that you, what you're talking about exactly and so company of one is is more of a, a mindset of challenging
1: growth and determining whether or not it's required and even throughout the book like some of the some of the examples that i lean on the most are basecamp and buffer and their businesses of like 50, 60, 70 people, even my own business. I have about five people that I work with, all freelance. I don't want to be responsible for managing them, but I still work with a, with a team. And I, I think it would, be, it would be incredibly hard to run a business long-term as just a single operator because mm-hmm. there's just so much you need to do. And there's so much that you would need to focus on. I would rather outsource the things that I'm either not good at or don't want to get good at. Like I think everybody, like if you run a business, you probably have an accountant if, if your business is, is making like a full time living. And that's a form of like hiring out where they're not an employee of your business. They don't have to be. Same with my lawyer he doesn't have to be an employee of the company i just need to lean on him when i have random contract questions about the companies that i work with in the states who have ridiculously long contracts so i think it's more of a mindset that you can kind of apply to any type of work where you focus on things like how to become more resilient how to become more autonomous how to move faster by reducing extraneous processes or, and how to simplify as well. How to, how to create simple rules or processes or, sim, or, or systems that become easier to manage, faster to manage, and can solve problems without just always adding more to the mix. Because adding more to solve
0: any business problem, I think, is probably the easiest, but it's rarely the best. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. We're going to take a break from the proceedings now to talk about a sponsor for this episode. And that sponsor is Blinkist. It's one of my favorite apps that I use every single day. And, And the reason I use it is because Time is of the essence when it comes to reading. And I want to be able to distill information down to its barest essentials when it comes to nonfiction books that I want to read. Now, when you say to yourself that you don't think you have time to read or develop yourself, that's that's simply not the case. There's that old quote, saying I don't have time is like saying I don't want to. And Blinkist gives you the ability to have the time because you do want to read and you want to develop yourself. Now, Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes so you can read or listen to them. It's made for busy people like you. That's what Blinkist offers. So If you want to get the main points of the books quickly without reading the entire book, That's what Blinkist offers, and it has an audio feature as well, so you can finish four books a day while you are on the go. Eight million people, eight million people, can't be wrong, they're all using Blinkist right now, and it's got a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health to history books, all that. Paul's book, one of Paul's books, Everything I Know, is in Blinkist. I really like Blinkist because it allows me to kind of preview books that I may want to dig into much deeper. And uh, it, it reminds me of those, you know, those old days, and this is going to date me, but when you used to go into a, like a record shop and you could preview an entire album based on the single that you heard, you don't want to necessarily buy the whole album. So you, 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 Put on the headphones by the 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 stanchion in in the uh, <laughs> in the record store, and you're listening, and you're saying, "Oh, you know what? There's enough in here that I want to buy the album." That's what Blinkist offers for me, and it also allows me to get like the basic information and the deeper information from books. So I've listened to a bunch of books uh, on Blinkist. I've been a member for a really long time, and I can't say enough great things about the app. You actually are going to get uh, a ton of value out of Blinkist. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for Productivity's podcast listeners. So if you go to Blinkist.com slash timecrafting, you can start your free seven-day trial today. Now, that's Blinkist. It's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash timecrafting, and you can start your free seven-day trial. So it's Blinkist.com slash timecrafting. You head there, you get your free seven-day trial, so you can get Books like I've read, you know, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, The Power of Habits, Becoming by Michelle Obama. If you're, you're you want to read her new book, uh, get some of the takeaways. Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Golman. Uh, so many others. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Getting Things Done by David Allen, who's been a guest on the show. There is no time like the present to start. Building a reading habit and Blinkist lets you do that in spades. So, again, go to blinkist.com. That's B L I N K I S T.com slash timecrafting to start your seven day free trial today. I'd like to thank Blinkist for sponsoring this episode of the Productivities Podcast. And now let's get back to the show. You know, as I was going through the book, and and uh I've been thinking about this more lately. Again, this is why this book could come, came along at the right time. It's not that we don't hang out and talk about this, but we we don't sit here and talk when we when we hang out. It's not we, I don't go, hey, Paul, let me pick your brain on all of this <laughs> stuff because now it's in a book. So now you can you, and, and now now you can pick it up and, and read it. Uh, but. As I was going through it, putting together the podcast episode, I thought, you know, I remember when I had someone that was doing show notes dedicated solely to doing the podcast stuff, Mm -hmm. which – and as I'm – you know how – again, these things enter your mind as as you're, you know, sometimes either – we talked about this before we started recording either the the message shows up consistently to the point where you can't ignore it, or it just kind of seeps its way in. And I kept thinking, you know, I remember when I had someone doing the podcast stuff, you know, in a dedicated fashion in terms of the actual show notes and putting everything together. So that way, all I did was record it. I had a producer that put it together, John, who is a fantastic producer, but he just basically edits the episodes and puts them together. But show notes, all that stuff is not his thing. And I thought, you know, I'm sitting here doing all of this work on a Wednesday, my audio day. And I'm thinking, why, why am I doing this right now? And, and it, it comes back to, and I want you to speak to this. It's simple. the simple systems need to be simple, but in many cases, it's not easy to simplify. Does that make sense? Like, it's not it, easy. It totally does. Yeah. Can you, can we, uh, I'll, I'll give you my story. Maybe you've got a, an example that you want to sure. share, but I remember when I first had the person doing show notes, I didn't have I didn't sit down initially because I wasn't everything was moving so quickly. I'm like, I just need someone. OK, so here's kind of what I do. And here's kind of what and then all of a sudden the, the leaks in the bucket started to show up. We're like, oh, right. I need to do this. Now, this time, as I'm reading as I'm reading Company of One, like, OK, hold on. I know I know I want to hire somebody. I'm going to go look and see if that person that used to do it is still available. Oh, they are. That was step 1. Now step yeah. 2 is not high. step 2 is to ask them if they'd still be interested. Yes, they are. Great. Step 3, can I afford them? Yes. Step 4, let's write down the actual things I want. Like let's build the workflow. Let's let's mm-hmm. do it from soup to nuts. Not okay, let's insert them in and then let's see where they fill in the gaps. It's it and and I think that's that that step that that is it simplifies it but it's the thing that you 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 say well i don't have i don't have time to sit down to do that this is a waste of my time can you give some examples of you setting because as soon as i know as soon as i do it right it's now set in stone The, the the time up front spent on it is going to save me not just time but energy money uh mental bandwidth all that stuff later can you give me an example of, of either personally where you had to do something like sure. this where it you caught yourself and you're like, oh right, this is where the 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 mess up was. Or maybe uh, an example that you during your research for the book where this showed up.
1: Yeah, I mean simplification means that you do a bit more work up front to save time later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. that's really that's really what it is. Um and, and even just thinking about like the the way that I that I market, like I it takes, and I, I use mostly email marketing, because so I love email marketing. And that takes, like, in order to set up a sequence that includes personal things, so it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but for email. So if somebody clicks something, they get a different email next. If somebody fills in a survey in the email sequence, then they might get a different response. That all takes time to set up, and that all takes time to test. But then once I have that set up, I can, I can use that and not have, to worry about it, or I can use that, and I can scale that without growth. So I can, it takes me just as long to write an article and send it to you, one person, as it does for me to write an article and send it to a list of thirty thousand people. Right? Like the technology exists to do that. And this is just one example, and this is why I love email marketing, where I, I can focus on things that that can scale in in volume, but that don't require like I don't have to hire an extra like six people if my mailing list grows by like another 5,000 or 10,000 people. Like it takes the same amount of work. So I'm always looking for things like that. Marshall Haas, the guy who runs Need Want, uh, he does things the same way where he initially, and they sell like really nice iPhone cases and a couple other um, like iPhone plugs and that sort of thing. And initially he was like, well, if I want to have an eight-figure business, I'm going to need to hire a lot of people and I'm going to need to grow the team with the revenue. And then as he was doing it, and he comes from a tech background, he was like, "Well, what can I do to like scale the business without growing it?" And he started to lean on things like email, things like targeted ads, uh things like automating customer support um so you could have like knowledge bases or video explainers or that sort of thing And now he's like, "I can probably scale the revenue in this up like ten percent a hundred percent while barely growing my team. I think he has a team of like five people and they make well into the millions, like way past a million dollars, because he's focused on things that can, that can do that, where the, the solutions are simple, but they're not easy. So right. they took a lot of time to set up, but once they're set up, then, then they can be scaled without having the growth required. Like in the past, growth would be required to scale. That's why we have mega corporations, or that's why like the like assembly lines existed, where if you wanted to pump out more widgets, you would hire more workers. Nowadays, it's, you don't really need to do that in a lot of situations, obviously not all situations, but there's ways to scale without growth. And I mean, the book definitely talks about that a, <laughs> a lot as well, where it kind of makes sense to to do that in some cases.
0: How often do you audit your automations and processes? Because this is one of the things that I think is, is can can put people off. And, and I know that that I, I love, you know, tools like Zapier and I love uh, Process Street and I love, you know, again, to have. Uh, the tech tools and even just checklists, you know, that that say, "Hey, here's every step of the way," because you know you want to break down projects to their smallest particles. I I touch on this a little mm-hmm. bit with, with with James Clear uh, on a recent episode of the show. Um, but I think one thing that that freaks people out, especially if they are not tech savvy, is what if the automation breaks? What if? I set this up or I set up too many and I can't it just the the problem doesn't become keeping track of employees or tasks. It becomes keeping track of automations. Do you, do you have a way that you say, okay, I'm going to look at this, you know, I've, I've got a, a you know, a, a weekly check where I go and look at all my automations, or do you have a set of mat? Like, where does that, do you have like kind of a, a nice uh, benchmark for, for looking at that stuff? Cause I think that's helpful for people who want to be productive and know that sure. scaling into this, but in this way makes sense. But uh oh! What if my Gmail filter breaks and, and I I don't know that it's not working or my Zaps like oh no now all of the things I've set up with Zapier aren't working because the 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 app I was using changed its API and it broke everything right? Yeah, I mean I
1: I typically check once a quarter, so the the first day of the quarter
0: I I check
1: those things um, for my automation specifically, but I mean. I think I, for all of the projects that I do, even new ones, I don't scale until it hurts. Right. Like I'm not going to build a a 50 email sequence that ties into Zapier and Typeform and Stripe and PayPal initially. I'm just going to say like, email me. Or like here, I'm just going to start emailing people one-on-one or start having Skype calls with them one-on-one until I can no longer handle that. Then I'm going to build like one or two email sequence. Like just in MailChimp, start two emails. <laughs> One's the giving information and two's probably a follow-up. And then once that starts to work, then build it more. Like I, I've never started a project with uh, a very a big system. Like I want to build systems as a, as I need to because I think a lot of times people kind of lose that initial. Like I think a lot of products work because the creator has spent a whole lot of time in the beginning focused on the, the one-on-one right. until they could no longer do that. Like even Daniela Port's a great example from the book where she did, I think she did like 500 or 1,000 one-on-one Firestarter Session phone calls before she wrote the ridiculously best-selling Firestarter Sessions book. Mm-hmm. Yep. like she talked to hundreds of people before well, and, she
0: made a product, and and then and then eventually got to the point where there were other people doing. She had to certify other people at one point, or the company did, so that other well, people. Yeah, could now do Desire it,
1: right? Map has like
0: yeah. uh, has programs where you can be certified because, but it didn't start out that way. Nope. It, it wasn't the like massive thing as step one. Step one managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With OnePassword's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part: my listeners can try One Password for free for two weeks right now. Get your free trial at onepasswordcom Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with One Password. Was like, who can I talk to?
1: Who do I know? Start on day one. Like those are things you can do the first day. Those are things you can do in the beginning as well to make money. Like if I offer a one-on-one service, I can, I can start offering that right now. Like yeah. I can get off the phone with you and offer a one-on-one service. If I'm building a product that requires like 50 moving parts and ties into all of these other services, require API keys, that's going to take months to build, years to build. Like that's going to take so long to build. Yeah. Why yeah. not just start? And then all of the knowledge and all the information that you get from working with people one-on-one, from learning from them, by like listening to what they're struggling with. That's all going to be useful as you're, as you're scaling this thing, as you're building these automations, as you're, and then it's going to be more authentic because you can speak to that type of customer because you know them. If you don't know them, it's just going to be emails like, why am I getting this email? What is this person talking about? That wasn't a problem I had. Why are they talking about
0: that? <laughs> Well, then everything becomes testing in that respect yes, too, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. We're going to take a break from the show now to talk about a sponsor for this episode, Skillshare. Now, I am a huge fan of Skillshare. I've been using them for a really long time. I actually have a class there called Productivity Habits That Stick, using time theming with nearly 30,000 people uh, that are taking that class. But there's lots of other productivity uh, classes that are on Skillshare because you know it's just a great online learning community where you can learn a whole bunch of different skills, whether it's it's productivity, whether it's it's SEO, social media. I've taken some Instagram classes on there. I learned how to use elements of ConvertKit, which is one of the tools I use for email. I've learned how to use Sumo, which is another tool that I've used. So I can get very specific with the tools that I'm using. And the great thing about Skillshare is that you've got experts that are really niching down into these very specific uh, classes. For example, I wanted to learn about Notion, which is one of the hottest productivity apps right now. I'm not a huge guy when it comes to apps any longer, but when I see an app that's really pushing it, I definitely want to get into it. Notion's one of them. If you were to go into Skillshare and type in Notion, which I will actually do right now as we're recording this, I'm gonna I'm gonna type in Notion, and boom, uh, Dalton Fabian planning your Skillshare class with Notion. So if I should, that's something I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to actually bookmark that right now. Uh, We've got uh, Francesco DeLessio, who's a friend of mine. Uh, He has the Beginner's Guidebook to Notion, a great class. He's got other classes too. So I can go and say, hey, you know, I want to see what else Francesco is teaching. And he is teaching classes on things three, how to use bare notes, how to use Trello, There's a variety of great teachers on here. There's a variety of great skills you can learn. You can take classes in a variety of areas. So whether you're looking to discover a new passion, you're just simply curious, you wanna start a side business or a side hustle, you wanna gain new professional skills, Skillshare will give you that opportunity in spades. It's a clean website. There's the mobile app that you can learn on the go. I believe that if you stop learning, then you stop living. And Skillshare allows you to learn in a variety of different ways every single day. Now, you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare right now just with this special offer that is available to Productivity's podcast listeners. All you need to do to get two months of Skillshare for free is to go to skillshare.com slash timecrafting, and you can get started with your two months of unlimited access to twenty five thousand classes over twenty five thousand classes for absolutely free so you've got 60 days two months to dive in depending on when you're listening to this you get a little bit more than that depending on on the months but (laughs) you dive in and you can learn a lot over that 60 day period if you're like me and you you take my time theming class maybe you you choose a couple of days where those are your days to focus on learning and Skillshare is where you're going to go to do that. You can learn a lot in 60 days and Skillshare is going to give you that opportunity. So again, to sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash timecrafting and you can start your two months for free now. Skillshare.com slash timecrafting. I'd like to thank Skillshare for sponsoring this episode of the Productivityist Podcast. And now let's get back to the show. And the thing that you also bring into light in the book, which you know, I think that not many people. Well, I wouldn't. I'm mean being too general, but I think this this becomes a a point of of confusion or a point of um, blissful ignorance for some entrepreneurs. <laughs> is we already have people that are following us. Um, and and, you know, or that, that love our stuff. Hence, like again, yesterday, the, the, the Instagram compliment that I got that said, Hey, can you do more Instagram content on this? This, then they said, Oh, you know, I love your stuff. Like to get that, that's qualitative feedback as opposed to, Oh, but look, my Instagram is like, I've got, I need to have more followers on there. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the idea that, that you, you, people will, will search for more, uh followers more uh, a larger email list which you touch on in the book as well as opposed to the people that are already there what why do you think uh it, why, wh- I think that that that's a, a problem personally that that it's just again that that the way the old way of doing things, you know, more is better. People used to be more concerned about like, hey, oh, you have 30,000 Twitter followers. Yeah, but most of them are robots, you know, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> as opposed to, oh, but look, there's 15 fault. Like it's the second generation of followers that really matters right on on, on, on tools like that, because that's where the re- it's more reach than necessarily individual followers. Why do we get so caught up in in those metrics? And how do we avoid that? Like the getting like, oh, I need to build my list, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, numerical growth, as opposed to um, uh, qualitative growth.
1: Yeah, and I mean, all those things you touched on are really just like vanity metrics. Like they look good to to other people. And I mean, they can be useful, like even in getting a book deal. Like they wanted to know how many people I had on my list, how many people followed me. And like, that's useful. It's not useful for my business. It's useful for like social proof.
0: (laughs) Or or for big companies that that's the metrics that they need to use because it's the way business has been done, which is why I love seeing things like KPIs and OKR show up because Mm -hmm. those can be, um, forged by people saying, hey, we're going to look, we're going to man it. we're going to look at this, again, a process, a, a, like yeah. some kind of sequence put in place saying, hey, you know, our OKRs are based on, you know, not necessarily how many buildings we build but buildings that we build in this very specific area because this is where we want to focus or you know having less customer service complaints than we've had in the years past right like things like that but most people are still stuck on the how many people what's your what's how much money are you bringing in because that's the other thing is that we get caught in that and and you know i mean it it's 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 it's, it's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, gross numbers never really tell the whole story because how can they? They're right. Just a single number. But the other thing is that, like, I, I think if we look at if we if we determine what metrics make the most sense for our business, and I think sometimes there can be upper and I mean, James clear about this um, on his blog and in Atomic Habits as well about defining upper bounds, because, for example, the best example I have of this is my mailing list. Like my mailing list needed to grow from zero because this is what I wanted to use to to be the financial driver of my business. So it needed to grow. But at a certain point, more growth doesn't make sense because the reason why my newsletter works is because I'll send it an email. It goes to whatever, 30,000 people, and then a couple hundred people reply typically. And I can see like, okay, well, if most of the time I get about 200 replies. This article got 10 this isn't something my audience is interested in. Probably not going to write about it again. If I get a thousand replies, I'd be like, this is a topic that people care about. Like maybe there's a product here. Maybe there's a book. Here. <laughs> there is a book here. I wrote about, <laughs> maybe I don't, probably three years ago, I wrote an article called Maybe I Don't Care About Growth or I Don't Care About Growth. I think I was more hard-nosed about it. And I, I got more replies than, from any article that I've ever written.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was like, that's the book like a hundred percent. I took that. I was like, this is the book. If my audience was like instead of 30,000, it was 300,000 or 3 million, there's no way that I could go through all of the emails. Like there's no way I could reply to people and have conversations with people. And the reason why my business does well is because I get to know my customers. Mm -hmm. Like we have conversations. If somebody buys something from me, I typically recognize their name or email because maybe we've had a conversation on Twitter. Maybe they've replied to an email. So my audience has grown to a size where it can support my business because it needs profit. And it's also not so big. Like I don't need to focus on growth beyond a certain amount because it it doesn't serve my business. And I think when companies or when, when creators focus on retention over acquisition, it's really short-sighted because it costs, I think it's like five to seven times more to yeah. get a new customer than to retain an existing customer. I'm like, nuts to that. I just want to retain all my customers. I would rather make products for the people who are already buying from me and just serve them over, over a lifetime instead of just like, I just got to churn and burn this list. And like, you're either going to buy it <laughs> yeah. this week or you're going to unsubscribe. And well, in, in doing so, I would need like a thousand more people a day to keep that business sustainable.
0: And the, and the same principles apply to people that you're working with. It costs you mm-hmm. way more to hire than to retain. Right. Which is why, yeah. you know, you've got people that like, again, you talk about Buffer in the book and there's, you know, how they operate. And then you've got the... Uh, um, so I, I can't remember what business you talk about specifically, but there's, I mean, there's different ways that companies that are bigger can manage to allow for this to happen, not just with their customers and the clients they serve, but with the employees that they're engaging with. You know, like the idea of, uh, you know, row, you know, uh, yeah. th- the idea where, and as a night owl, I can completely appreciate that because you know mm-hmm. when you when you're like, hey, it doesn't matter when you work; it just matters how you work. Uh, you know, that's like you know, and what the outcomes, the results, and again, this is where things like KPIs and OKRs and all this stuff can come into play but it, it it comes back to like staying small like the idea of if you can do that then it becomes more ma- manageable and and I think what happens in bigger businesses and I can again speak this this is one of the I mean again Costco's all about retention their membership right that's where most yeah. of their money comes from but uh-huh. even those bigger companies if you don't have people buying into it then there's leaks that show up and then all of a sudden you have to say okay well how do we where do, where do we where do we go from here? Right. You know, so I think that there comes a point, like you said, where and you talked about this with your list, where if you get to a certain point and, and I know in the book you talk about James at the, the same thing where it's like, OK, nothing really changes in terms of the numbers that we're growing. So let's make the list better, not bigger, but better. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, again, you know, the more I, the, the, the more I went through this book and, and again, this is a reread for me for sure, because this is the company I'm building. And it, funnily enough, it, it, you know, I've been through the arguments, uh, uh, <laughs> many people have, I'm you have too, where it's yes. like, you know, oh, I should build this thing or, oh, I should hire this person or, oh, and, and sometimes it's through altruistic means, right? Like I would love to hire more people to be able to have them live you know to, to be able to say oh wow that they, they can have some of the freedom that 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 we experience but i think that ultimately um doing that for the sake of doing that is not smart right yeah i mean and i i feel like my bi-
1: biggest expense for my business is freelancers like right. if i took out paying freelancers um it, like i i spent a couple <laughs> thousand dollars on software and that's it yeah. <laughs> like I replace my laptops and my computers probably once every five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. So I still feel like we can like I a connected economy is still like building and driving jobs for sure. Like this is how it used like large companies are such a tiny blip, minuscule yep. blip on the radar of commerce. Like the way that it used to work is that it was just a whole bunch of interconnected. Artisans and, and craftspeople making stuff, and I think we can get back to that, but also use technology to to really kick it up a notch. And I think that 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 way still empowers and supports like a really strong economy. And like it or not, like big companies are losing people to freelancing, mm-hmm. and unless they start to adopt some of these things we're talking about, or unless they start to to see see the value in them, they're going to keep losing people. And like you said, it costs so much more to. Keep hiring new people, like the strain on HR and training, and getting people up to peak productivity in a job. It takes so much time and costs costs companies so much money. If they can work to retain their staff a lot better, it's it's cheaper in the long run. If you just keep
0: your employees happy, and they're just going to keep wanting to work for you. Paul, this has been great, and you know, there's I, I encourage. Anyone who is either in a business where they have some autonomy, they can go, you know, let's, let's, even if they're running a department, I remember doing a workshop once where someone wanted to use a specific tool, but their boss didn't like it. They had ran a team like, well, you and the team run the tool and then show them that the results. And then, I mean, money, you know, the numbers, the bottom line talks to people in those positions of management because that's where they're getting, you know, that's where they're getting uh, their they're, uh, they're getting evaluated. So I mean, there's whether you work in a bigger business, or you're, you're like, Hey, you know what, I want to build my own company. And you get the allure because this is where a lot of it comes from, uh, from the online world of, you know, oh, I'm building this, or I've got this, or I'm hitting these figures and all that stuff. Uh, this book will help you kind of keep, keep your keep it in check a bit, but also not in a way that. It, 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 what I loved about it is it's not like a it's not a dream killing book either. It's like, well, no, you know what? If you scale too big, then you're gonna. No, it's like just about scaling the right way, and and mm-hmm. and, and if you need to look no further. And again, I've hung out with Paul many occasions um, to see what Paul's built both with this book and and in his own, you know, we'll go to, you go to your website. We'll link to that in the show notes to know that this works. So Paul, where can people pick up this book and where can people uh, learn more about your work and keep up with what you're doing as you continue to go along the path of the, this company of one that you've built?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the best way to keep in touch is my newsletter, The Sunday Dispatches. If you Google Paul Jarvis, I'm the first couple pages um, in Google or whatever search engine you use. Um, and you'll link to pjrves.com. Nobody remembers that, so there's no point <laughs> saying it, really. And then the book Company of One is available pretty much everywhere, worldwide on book depository, book Repository. <laughs> Something like that. And then on Amazon in digital, physical and audio format. And it's in North America. I'm the one narrating it. For some reason, there's a different narrator um, for the rest of the world, but they actually sound good. So I'm I'm not actually that
0: sad about it. So the
1: book's out everywhere. Jan 15, uh, North America, Jan 17, rest of the
0: world awesome paul thanks for taking the time to join me today not in studio but you know within (laughs) only a few uh kilometers really well it's actually a bit of a a bit of a go but still uh thanks for joining me today on the productivity podcast no problem cheers Big thanks to Paul for joining me on the show. We weren't able to do it in studio mainly because I don't have a studio setup as such. But we've got we've got the uh, the the ability to do it with technology like everybody else. And I can't wait to see him in person, uh, so I can thank him for being on the show in person. Probably going to buy him a coffee. Let's be honest. Uh, again, pick up the book Company of One: Why Staying Small Is the Next Big Thing for Business. Uh, it's it's a fantastic read. A lot learned within the pages of the book. And I hope you learned a lot listening to this episode this week. Again, if you want to gather all of the things that we talked about, go through the show notes, you can get the links and everything there. Um, You know, I, I strongly encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. If you like this episode, there's a, a large back catalog of episodes that you can listen to. And if you enjoy this episode, And you want to give us feedback on it. And actually, you know, if you you say, hey, Mike, there's some things we could work on. Feedback is always appreciated. Ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts, we'd appreciate them. That way, John, Polster, the producer, and I can take a look at them and go, okay, you know what? What can we do to make the show better? Oh, Oh, you know what? This is great. Great, well, you're going to take this feedback and use it in a positive light? Or, no, you know what? We need, to, we need to make this work better, so thanks for thanks for sharing that with us so that we can make the show even better. Again, that's the conversations that we have whenever we get feedback in. So, uh, again, if you want to leave a rating or review, I'd really, really appreciate it. Uh, a big thanks to our sponsors on this episode, Blinkist. Go to Blinkist.com slash timecrafting. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash timecrafting to get your free seven-day trial. And thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode as well. Go to Skillshare.com slash timecrafting to get two months of Skillshare for free. So you got a lot of learning you can do with this episode, which is necessary when you're dealing with a company of one, if you want to build one, that is. So thanks to our sponsors for this episode. Thanks to Paul for joining me. Thanks to John for producing the show. And thanks to you for listening. Until next time, I am Mike Bardi, the host of the is podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.